0: Today, on the Mission Readiness Review... Is the life of Pi a slow FCC? Do CubeSats and 3D printing have a future in space? And... There's a new planet hunter in town. Discussions and more, up next, on the Mission Readiness Review. Stefan Kartenberg created the Mission Readiness Review's music, Pod Dreams. Thank you, Stefan. Hello, and welcome to the April 22nd, 2018 Mission Readiness Review, Episode 6, The FCC CYA with ROE Makes Startups PCS Okonus FTW. From Ground Zero in Colorado Springs, I'm John Holst. And this is my co-host, Ingrid.
1: Greetings, Earthlings. BTW, last week we were MIA, but now we're 5x5. LOL. Mm. I had to. Okay, on to the business. Um, Upcoming launches this week, two of them. The first one is April 25th out of Russia. It is the ROKOT rocket putting up the Sentinel-3B European Earth Observation Satellite into low Earth orbit. On April 26th. The out of China is the Long March 11. It's putting up the Zhuhai-1 Chinese Earth Observation Satellite, also into low Earth orbit. And supposedly sometime in April, there's not a whole lot of April left, New Zealand, um, their electron rocket is launching the satellite Lemur-2 Earth Observation CubeSats from US Spire Global and another from GeoOptics into low Earth orbit.
0: Last week's launches were all successful. We had the Proton M out of Kazakhstan on April 18th, launched a Blagovest Russian military communications satellite. Also, on April 18th, was the Falcon 9 out of Florida. It launched the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS, into highly elliptical Earth orbit. So, now we'll go right into the risk matrix and analysis of some of last week's news. Just an update on the GSAT-68 Indian Communications Satellite not talking with the Indian Space Research Organization. It's still not talking with the Indian Space Research Organization, the ISRO. And the ISRO is assuming the problem with the satellite is a short circuit in the electrical system.
1: As a short-identified person myself, I take offense that this is a problem.
0: Right. So... <laughs> They're going to hope the satellite will eventually come online. Uh, They're hoping that the satellite will eventually come online. But right now, the future does not look good for the GSAT-6A. Another update about the space bees. We had the IEEE Spectrum site look a little more closely into the Federal Communication Commission's licensing practices. And surprise, they found inconsistencies in the way the FCC allocates licenses for small satellites. It's gotten so bad, some American companies are moving to other countries and manufacturing operating satellites in those countries. So we're chasing away our new startups with our bureaucracy into countries like Germany who don't have to deal with the FCC. So uh, basically, they don't want to deal with the plotting and the inconsistencies that the FCC seems to be exhibiting as a federal agency.
1: Is... Just to play at devil's advocate, does the FCC have like actual good reasons? Is the the quality of lunch is better because of this, all of their bureaucracy, or does it is it really just getting in the way?
0: I think they're used to dealing with bigger companies whose processes were more established and were willing to deal with the slowness of it, as well as had the money to deal with the slowness of it.
1: And the number of employees who are dedicated to dealing with the slowness of it, I right.
0: assume. So the... FCC is used to going slowly with the applications. They have been moving quicker, but it's still not quick enough for, say, a startup that doesn't have as much money, Mm. which means they don't have much time to deal with this sort of thing. The fact that a license with the FCC for a low-Earth orbiting satellite is around $450,000 to $500,000 is a problem. So... Yeah, it's a lot of money for a commercial startup to worry about. The FCC responded to the post saying size is just one of many criteria when granting licenses for small satellites. It's saying it's taking a holistic approach in its decision-making process, which may be a synonym for being slow.
1: So do they not have a list of their criteria?
0: They have a very ambiguous list of criteria. I think part of it might be there is some opacity still in their decision-making process and how they allocate licensing. The fact that, say, there, were, there was another company called, not, not necessarily a company, but it was KickSat, And KICSAT had a satellite that launched a few years ago. It was, so the license was uh, given by the FCC to them. To launch, I mean, to have the satellite up in orbit, and what it was going to do actually was put smaller satellites into orbit, something the size of a credit card,
1: Mm -hmm. um,
0: which didn't seem to be a problem to the FCC at the time. But the but the Kicksat did not work; it didn't deploy those satellites, and uh, so since it was a Kickstarter, hence Kicksat, they made another Kicksat, Kicksat Two. Mm-hmm. Applied, basically, it's the same satellite, same construction, same design, same sprites, and for some reason, the FCC then, this is part of the inconsistency, decided, nope, can't launch it.
1: So it just depends on how the per that person is feeling that day, apparently, or who gets that request.
0: It could be, um, and again, it may have something to do with the holistic approach, but then I wonder about the KickSat one. Yeah,
1: that still doesn't problem. So seems to make sense.
0: Yeah, makes me wonder, honestly, if the biggest mistake Swarm technology Technologies made, so the owners of the space bees that we talked about earlier, is that they were manufacturing and operating their satellites out of the United States. And there are other companies now that are also saying, maybe we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't deal with the FCC, we'll, okay. go, we'll go abroad. So it also makes me wonder why more companies, more American startups, aren't moving to other countries to avoid the time and money sink that we call the FCC.
1: Hmm.
0: So it's creating a problem because we like to encourage startups in this country. We think this is a great place to be. But if there's a roadblock, such as the FCC, it sounds like in this case, even though they keep defending themselves, and I don't blame them, they're used to big you know, communication satellite companies that have lots of money and lots of time and don't really push back.
1: Um, and get these young whippersnappers who uh, aren't going to put up with it.
0: Which is great. It, it
1: Move things forward. Right.
0: So we'll see about this. It may be the FCC eventually does become customer friendly, but right now they're more like your friendly neighborhood driver's licensing office um, in your town, it sounds like. So there you go. But another government initiative. An agency, NASA, has launched the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS. So we talked about this just because it was launched by Falcon 9 earlier in the week. The TESS satellite is similar to the Kepler satellite that's out there right now. The Kepler satellite orbits around the sun. TESS will be orbiting around the Earth in a highly inclined orbit.
1: So what does Kepler do again?
0: Kepler hunts for exoplanets. It hunts for Earth-like planets. I mean, it looks for, I mean, at all planets, but it looks for potentially Earth-like planets. Mm. And both systems work in a way of they look at stars out there, and if the stars dim periodically, that means perhaps there's a planet between the sun and, or that star and the telescope. Mm Mm-hmm so that gives them an idea of where to look maybe more closely for a planet so that's how they do it and the the different the difference really the main difference as far as how the mission is being conducted is the orbit that Tess is in the orbit allows Tess to see much more of the sky than Kepler around the earth so Kepler can only see 0.25% of the sky above the Earth.
1: That's like nothing.
0: And think of all the things that Kepler's actually found, right? There's a lot of planets, interesting planets, that Kepler has found.
1: In that tiny slice of sky.
0: Right. Tess, on the other hand, NASA's telling us that it's going to see 90% of the sky. So that's a lot more stars out there that it's going to be looking at. Also, the problem is that's a lot more data that the scientists will be sifting through to figure out where a Earth-like planet might be.
1: They'll need a lot of interns, if anybody's looking for a space job.
0: There are also some slight differences in technology looking out there. TESS basically has four cameras equaling about 64 megapixels in resolution. But again, it's going to be interesting just to see how much more we might find out there based on the volume of space that TESS is covering versus Kepler. So yeah, there will probably be more interesting information coming out of this mission, but it may take a while because of the data, the amount of data, again, that this system is going to collect as it looks out in the sky. We talk about sky observation. Now I'm going to talk about my own observation here with a lot of questions. Mm -mm. So I've been thinking about this a little bit and...
1: That is one thing John is very good at is thinking about things, and he comes up with some really interesting things. So let's let's hear it.
0: Mm, well, I don't know about that, but thank you. Um, so there's a lot of enthusiasm, and I think rightly so, for small satellites and three D printers. Small satellites are very inexpensive compared to large satellites. You can the the form factor of say cubesats, for example, makes it very easy to put a system in place on many different rockets that allows like a 3U CubeSat to be launched almost from any rocket system.
1: And is, they're very um, democratizing, right? if that's and the so, right word.
0: And there's a lot of interest in actually commercial companies like Planet and Spire do use 3U CubeSats for their businesses. So it's not just inexpensive compared to large satellites, but it's also useful apparently for co- commercial applications. 3D printing, on the other hand, we've only really seen it in the space station. There's a 3D printer on board there. And the whole idea is to be, instead of lifting all this extra mass and tools and, and rebar or any sort of structural components that have to take up weird spaces because of how they're designed, you just build all that stuff. From raw materials up in in orbit around the Earth.
1: So you still have to you can't you're not making these things out of nothing. You still have to send up the 3D printing filament, but that's easier to pack and is lighter.
0: It's probably easier to pack, and if there's a sort of
1: well, you n- can also generic
0: print- filament where it's just useful for all sorts of applications. You don't have to worry maybe so much about different components, different. Materials, right,
1: and you don't have to bring things that you end up not using. Right, you only print what you need.
0: Yes, so as you need it. The main driver, though, for both of these, the three three D printing and the CubeSats, are the, is the fact that launch, the business of launch, is very expensive. To launch something up into orbit still costs a lot of money, and the less mass something is. The less it costs to shoot that thing up into orbit. So, three D printing is useful because you basically can, you know, make everything bespoke up there without having extra things being shot up into the into the sky. And three D, pr- you know, and CubeSats are good because well, they're small, they take up very little space, they don't weigh that much, and yeah, it's cheap to launch into orbit compared to a large satellite right now. But the question I have is, we have all these launch companies now, when I say all, we're talking really SpaceX, Rocket Lab, um, and some other startups, like, say, Firefly, for example, if they ever get that thing going, or Virgin Galactic. um, It's actually Virgin Launch, I believe. All saying, we're going to be the cheaper folks to launch with. So if launch prices come down, what does that do to something like a, a CubeSat and, or 3D printing? Does that mean 3D printing is still as desirable when you suddenly now can launch things much cheap, much more cheaply than you can today? And does the small form factor, which is sort of limiting
1: mm,
0: of but challenging, you know, and some people like Planet Inspire have done a great job in packing a lot of stuff in there, but does that mean that? maybe larger satellites become more desirable again not necessarily expensive satellites but larger say 6u or maybe even you know refrigerators you know small refrigerator size satellites become desirable
1: so just like packing for a plane trip if if the amount of luggage is all free you're gonna you're gonna just load up everything whereas if you're charged per bag you're going to keep it all compact and small you want to use up as much space as Sure. You can afford.
0: Well, I personally just like carrying everything <laughs> on with me, so yes, but for others that like going hog wild, you could take your entire wardrobe, yes. And so the thing about CubeSats in particular, I, I kind of view them as the way smartphone apps were at the time when, say, the iPhone and Android phones started coming to the fore. Applications, software applications were developed for those phones to get around the limitations of the hardware. So the screen sizes, the fact that there was a lot of data that needed to be pulled, so they would optimize the data that's being pulled for an app. And just to make it simpler, you know, formed for that screen size, even with, you know, the software keyboards. I think 3U CubeSats are formed kind of the same way to get around the restrictions of launch, right, as it is today. They may still be around, just like the app stores are around today, even though we have larger things like tablets and tablet computers. But it makes me wonder a little bit. um, So, does it mean that even with larger and relatively inexpensive satellite buses that will probably be coming down the pike, will 3U CubeSats, or even just CubeSats, generally be a thing in the future? Hard to say. I think it's a question worth pondering, but maybe I'm the only one. I do think launch looks like based on all the information we're getting it will probably be cheaper probably very soon more soon than we think but I guess the, the
1: converse of this would be instead of um, you know if you have X amount of dollars you don't have to go quite so small anymore but if you want to go negative X amount of dollars well now anybody can still use the small CubeSats and it would just cost less and that's even more people who have access
0: Right. The, the, the nice thing about CubeSats for some folks is you can build them in-house, really. Planet does that. But even just for like a maker, if you were just a hobbyist, you could theoretically build your own CubeSat and maybe buy a berth on a cheaper launch. Mm-hmm. And that would still help you with whatever you want to do. You know, because you can 3D print parts for that CubeSat. So you can make it very customized to how you want it. You can actually have boards that are designed specifically for you on that CubeSat. You could even make those yourself. Mm-hmm. Because the equipment now is getting that much cheaper. You know, pick-and-place machines are now very cheap. Or you can go to a makerspace and they do have... Some of them do have pick-and-place um, machines for for those, those boards. So it's... Um, I still think it's worth pondering. I don't think the CubeSats will go away, but I'm not sure they'll be used as much, say, for commercial applications as we're seeing right now.
1: Maybe more for classrooms and hobbyists, which is.
0: Which is fine. I think it's kind of cool. Especially, again, if launch makes it cheaper for them to be able to do that. So, something worth thinking about, I thought.
1: So, you might regret this, but I do have another. Joke from businessinsider.com if you'd like to hear it.
0: There's no might. I'm going to regret it, but go ahead.
1: If the Silver Surfer and Iron Man team up, they'd be alloys. You know you love it.
0: Yeah, and that's why I hate myself um, right now. (laughs) So that's it. Um, It was a very busy week. Just That's why we took the last weekend off. I had to deal with... um, Symposium in Colorado Springs you had
1: to deal with it. You didn't enjoy every minute. Well,
0: I enjoyed it just fine But you know um, at the same time just my schedule got all mixed up
1: you were gone 12 hours a day
0: Yeah, but it was fun met a lot of new people There were a lot of interesting things there. You got to see the dream chaser just outside You got to see blue origins engine sitting there on the pavilion. It was it was fun to see that sort of thing. the
1: vice president was there for about 30 minutes
0: Yes, he was and that made things interesting But that's really all I have. If you like what our podcast is about and find it informative, please pass this on to your friends and your colleagues. Links to the stories we discuss will be in the show notes. We are on Podbean and Google Music. Everyone, we've got authority to proceed. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.